Matthew chapter 24. We're going to read verses 15 through 21, and then we'll get into the lesson today. This is our Messiah speaking to his disciples. He says, So when you see the abomination that causes desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down to get things out of his house, and a man in the field must not go back to get his clothes. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your escape may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for at that time there will be great tribulation, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. And Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. In the last lesson, last week, we covered what I like to call the approximate sign of the end of the age, and that is the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom in all the inhabited earth or the inhabited land of the Roman Empire as a witness to all nations. And that would bring on the end of the Old Covenant Age, and that would take place soon after this sign was fulfilled. And according to the witness that we went through in the apostolic writings, the apostolic scriptures, what's commonly called the New Testament, that sign, the gospel of the kingdom, preached in all the inhabited land as a witness among all nations. That took place and was fulfilled in the first century, right around the beginning of the 60s A.D. But in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 21, we get a more direct sign. When the followers of Yeshua saw this sign take place, they were instructed to flee in order to escape what the Bible here calls the Great Tribulation. This is the Great Tribulation that many people today in the prophetic world are waiting on to take place in the future. But in this lesson, I'm going to begin to explain why I believe that it has already taken place in the past. Never forget Yeshua's use of this generation. He uses that phrase as a bookend, both before and after his Olivet Discourse. In Matthew 23:36, he announces to the unbelieving Judahite leaders, the scribes and the Pharisee elders, he says, I assure you, all these things will come upon this generation. Then he echoes himself when he tells his disciples in Matthew 24, verse 34, I assure you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. The these things that he speaks of are the things at the end of Matthew chapter 23, right after he says, I assure you, all these things will come on this generation, up to Matthew 24, verse 34, where he says at the end, I assure you, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. This includes the abomination of desolation and the great tribulation that he speaks of in Matthew 24, 15 through 21. That's part of the all things that would take place before the generation living at that time passed away. Now, this seems odd to many people when you first tell them, as it did to me the first time that I heard this. Because in people's minds, they believe that the Great Tribulation is a future, worldwide, global event, a catastrophe time or a catastrophic time that just precedes the end of the world or the end of humanity as we know it. 
But I want to ask you this question. Why do people believe this? And if we are of that view, why do we believe this about the Great Tribulation? You can ask yourself this question. Why do I, if you're of that view right now, why do I believe that? Is it because you've seriously studied this text in Matthew 24? Is that why you believe it? Because you've seriously dedicated a lot of time to the study of the Bible? Or or is it because it's what everybody else, for the most part, thinks, and then we have just followed along with all the hype without doing our own research? We haven't been a Berean, Acts 17, 10 through 11, but we've just kind of tagged along and believed what somebody's told us because we've heard it enough. Long enough and loud enough, as the saying goes, people begin to believe things. The Olivet Discourse is the only time that Yeshua uses the phrase Great Tribulation. And so if we're interested in what He means by Great Tribulation, we need to study the context of Matthew chapter 24 like we've been doing. Now let's look at a few things here to begin with before we get to the abomination that causes desolation. The first thing I'd like you to notice is that Yeshua is telling those in Judea to flee to the mountains. Remember, He's talking to His disciples on the Mount of Olives. And in verse 15, He says, When you when you see the abomination of desolation. And then in verse 16, He says that when you see this, those in Judea need to flee to the mountains. Why? Why do they need to flee? Well, to escape the great tribulation that Yeshua mentions in verse 21. Verse 21 says, For, then it mentions the great tribulation. It gives you the reason why the disciples of Christ, or the disciples of the Messiah, need to flee to the mountains when they see the abomination of desolation. The conclusion is that the great tribulation is a local event that can be escaped by fleeing to the mountains outside of Judea. Judea is mentioned 43 times in the New Testament. And every time that it's used, it's speaking of a physical location in the land of southern Israel. For example, Matthew 2 verse 1 says that Yeshua was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Matthew 3 1 says, In those days John the baptizer came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Matthew 19 and 1 says, When Yeshua had finished his instruction... He departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Judea was a place where many Israelites lived, including many believing or Christian Israelites, followers of Yeshua as the Messiah. And Yeshua here is telling His core personal disciples, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Flee on foot, to the mountains, immediately. Yeshua's closest disciples would have taken His warning here and passed it around to all of His followers. This is what our Lord, our Master, has taught us to do when we see this sign. Again, the Great Tribulation was confined, according to Yeshua, to the area of Judea. But it could be escaped by heeding Yeshua's warning to flee to the mountains outside of Judea when you saw the abomination of desolation. I want you to notice the urgency here. In verse 17, Yeshua says that a man on the housetop must not come down to get his clothes. Well, that certainly speaks of a first century Judean culture. There's a cultural context to this text. 
where the housetops were flat. In Luke chapter 5, verse 19, it's recorded that some people went onto a housetop to lower down a paralyzed man through the roof into a house to be healed by the Messiah. Imagine trying to carry a paralyzed man up on one of our housetops today. We don't spend time on our housetops. But the housetops in those days had steps, sometimes on the outside of the house or ladders inside the house, up to the housetop. And they were flat on top. People spent time on top of their houses. The same thing can be said for Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10. Remember, Peter has his vision of the sheet filled with common and unclean animals. Where does he have that vision? While he's on the housetop. But he had went up on the housetop to do what? Acts 10 verse 9 says he had went on the housetop to pray. I don't know about you, but I don't go on my housetop to pray because it's like this, or at least a barn style. I'd have to be more worried about falling off than I would praying. Yeshua is giving an urgent warning in Matthew 24, 16 through 17. When his disciples saw the abomination that causes desolation, those in Judea were to flee to the mountains. And if any of them were on the housetop, when they saw the abomination, they were to flee with such urgency that they should not even bother to come down to get anything out of their house. That's what he's saying there. It's so urgent. Don't go down and get anything out of your house. Flee to the mountains. This was possible, catch this, this was possible because the houses were so close to one another that you can actually or could actually walk along the tops of the houses to the edge or the border of the city, then go down the steps on the final house and exit the city or the city walls. We'll talk about that in a second. In verse 18, Yeshua says that a man in the field must not go back to get his clothes. Here again we have urgency. Don't worry about your clothes. Just flee to the mountain. This lets us know that the tribulation that approached would be horrible. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, Yeshua says, get out of town. Even if you are working out in a field, take what you have on and don't worry about anything else. Very urgent. In verse 19, Yeshua says, Woe be unto the pregnant women and the nursing mothers in those days. Why does he pronounce a woe on the pregnant women and the nursing mothers? Well, it's not because there's anything wrong with being pregnant or nursing a baby. It's because, it's a simple reason, people try to read things into this that it doesn't say, but the simple reason is this. It is tougher for a pregnant woman to quickly flee Judea. It will be more laborious for a nursing woman or nursing mother to carry her baby with her if she has to flee to the mountains in obedience to Yeshua's instructions when she sees the abomination of desolation. So the woe is not a punishment. The woe is more like, remember in 1 Corinthians 7 where Apostle Paul is talking about it's good for a man to remain single and not to be married. Paul's not teaching that you shouldn't get married there, but he's talking about because of the present distress And I would suggest to you that the present distress that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 7 is what we're talking about right here. The tribulation that Yeshua is prophesying about. And so it's better if you just remain single in that particular scenario or situation. Same thing for a pregnant woman or a nursing mother. It will be better for a woman not to be pregnant or be nursing if they have to flee. It's similar to verse 20 
where he tells them to pray that their escape or their flight, their fleeing to the mountains, does not happen in the winter or on a Sabbath. Now, obviously, the winter weather is more difficult to survive in. That's all Yeshua is saying. Pray that you, when you have to flee, that it's not in the winter. It's more difficult to survive. Spring through fall is more comfortable weather. And there is more in nature to survive off of. On the Sabbath, it would be more difficult to escape because the gates of the city of Jerusalem would often be shut on the Sabbath. Remember, this city was walled with front main entry gates. You can even see this in Nehemiah's day. About 400 years prior to the Olivet Discourse, where Nehemiah commanded that the gates of Jerusalem be shut before the Sabbath day arrived. Why? In order to prohibit people from buying and selling on the Sabbath. Plus, on the Sabbath, everyone would be relaxing and resting, not in an active mood. So a Sabbath day escape would be all around more difficult for the Christian Israelites than a working day escape. Then in verse 21, Yeshua says, For at that time, a time that was yet future to Yeshua, but I believe now is past to us. For at that time there will be great tribulation, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Now people have asked me, do you really believe that the tribulation there in the first century was greater than any other tribulation? And my answer to that is yes. And the reason I believe that is because Yeshua said that. It would be in verse 21. And I want you to notice something here. Notice where he places the great tribulation in history. Yeshua does not place the great tribulation at the end of humanity, but in the midst or the middle of history. He says that there will be great tribulation, the kind that hasn't happened before now, nor tribulation after now. This again proves that the great tribulation has nothing to do with the end of the world or the end of humanity. Because if the world ended right after the Great Tribulation, then of course we wouldn't have any tribulation anymore. It makes more sense to realize that historical real time existed prior to the Great Tribulation, and historical real time would exist after the Great Tribulation. Once again, look at it, verse 21, closely. For at that time, there will be Great Tribulation, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world Until now, remember Yeshua speaking, until now, the time he's standing in, nor ever will again. The great tribulation is not at the end of history. It's in the midst or in the middle of human or Israelite history. And in the near future, I will devote, I'm going to take time to devote one entire lesson to looking at what great horrors took place upon unbelieving Israel of that generation. The historian Flavius Josephus gives us a first-hand account. He was actually there. He gives us a first-hand account of the atrocities that fell upon the unbelieving Judahites who lived in the land of Judea. There were over one million slaughtered. And to their city, Jerusalem, where the temple was completely obliterated. And on top of the one million who were slaughtered, there were many, many more thousands that were taken into captivity. Right now you might be thinking, I don't know if that was the worst tribulation that has ever been. 
Number one, we need to trust Yeshua's words. Number two, wait until you hear about some of the things that took place. It will make your skin crawl. It makes me cringe just thinking about it. But we'll get to that in a future lesson. For now, let it be realized that there is nothing in these verses that cause us to have to believe all of this is yet in the future. But there are many points of evidence that do lead us in the direction of believing that these events have taken place in the past to us. Now, I want to begin showing you what the abomination of desolation was. What I'm about to show you, I saw this years ago, back in the year 2007. I saw this, but I turned my mind away from it for whatever reason. Maybe Yahweh knew I wasn't ready for it. But for whatever reason, I wasn't ready to accept it back then. I kind of hem-hawed around about it. Even though, I think you'll see, the words of Yeshua are crystal clear. And He tells us what the abomination that causes desolation is. There's so many things going around today. I mean, there's people that believe the abomination of desolation is the, uh, the Dome of the Rock, that Muslim dome in the land of Palestine today. Uh, there's one or several people on YouTube that says the abomination is the Obama nation. Now, a lot of people want to grab stuff like that and run with it. I believe that he is an abomination to Yahweh, but that's not what Yeshua is talking about right here in Matthew 24. <laughs> okay? Don't fall for stuff like that, brothers and sisters. That's eisegesis. That's... That's reading something into the text that it doesn't say. Okay, What we're going to do is we're going to read the text and we're going to see exactly what it is. And all we have to do is something simple. All we have to do is remember to let the Bible interpret the Bible. That's one of the biggest points of Bible study you could ever grab a hold to. It's just when you read, allow the Bible to interpret itself. And make sure that when you do that, you don't just read Matthew's account of the Olivet Discourse because Mark recorded it as well and Luke also recorded it. So we don't want to just read one author, but we read horizontally. We read all three authors. Let's look at Matthew's account again, Matthew twenty-four fifteen through 16. Matthew records Yeshua as saying this to his disciples. So when you see the abomination that causes desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, Let the reader understand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. That's Matthew's account. Now, let's read Mark's account. Remember, Mark 13, specifically verse 14, is giving us an account of the same discourse, the Olivet Discourse. This is how Mark records Yeshua. Mark 13, 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it should not, let the reader understand then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. So Mark records Yeshua as saying basically the same thing, but yet his record is a little bit different. Matthew mentions the prophet Daniel. Mark doesn't mention the prophet Daniel, but that's okay. That's okay because different authors relate things in different ways. Just because Mark didn't mention Yeshua as speaking of the prophet Daniel doesn't mean Yeshua didn't speak of the prophet Daniel. He did according to Matthew's account. So we harmonize there. Now let's look at Luke's rendition, which is worded differently. Same account, same account, same Yeshua, same Messiah, just a different author, Dr. Luke, 
giving us his rendition in Luke 21, 20 through 21, which is parallel. He records Yeshua as saying, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that its desolation has come near. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. I would encourage you to put Matthew, Mark, and Luke up against each other, and you'll see this is talking about the same exact thing. Luke, notice Luke mentions desolation, then recognize that its desolation has come near. And he also mentions that those in Judea must flee to the mountains. But instead of using the phrase, the abomination of desolation, Luke records for us more detail as to what this means. Matthew and Mark record Yeshua as saying, when you see the abomination that causes desolation. But Luke records this as, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. It's saying the same thing in two different ways. This means that according to the Bible, if we let the Bible interpret the Bible, the gospel authors give witness that the abomination that causes desolation was when the followers of Yeshua in that generation, in the first century, saw Jerusalem surrounded by armies. When a person was on their housetop, they could see that. And they didn't go down, and were not to go down and get anything out of their house, but to flee to the mountains. When a person was out in the field, they could see that. And they were not to go back to their house, but they were to flee to the mountains. Because desolation of the city of Jerusalem and the area, the region of Judea, had come near. The great tribulation was close when they saw Jerusalem surrounded by armies. That is, the abomination that causes desolation. Now, I'll go into more detail on this in tomorrow's lesson, but let me give an answer to one question that you might have about this understanding. If Jerusalem, surrounded by armies, is the abomination of desolation, or was the abomination of desolation, how could the Christians flee to the mountains if they were already surrounded? It's a good question. It's a question I had at one time. And for our answer, I would like to turn to uh, John Gill's commentary, a Baptist theologian from the 1700s, on Matthew 24, verse 16. This is what he comments on this verse. Listen carefully. Then let them which be in Judea. Quote, When this signal is given, let it be taken notice of and observed. Let them that are in the city of Jerusalem depart out of it, or who are in any other parts of Judea, in any of the towns or cities thereof, let them not betake themselves to Jerusalem, imagining they may be safe there, in so strong and fortified a place, but let them flee elsewhere. See Luke 21, 21. And accordingly, it is observed that many did flee about this time. And it is remarked by several interpreters, and which Josephus takes notice of with surprise, that Cestius Gallus, having advanced with his army to Jerusalem and besieged it on a sudden, without any cause, raised the siege and withdrew his army, when the city might have been easily taken, by which means a signal was made and an opportunity given to the Christians to make their escape, which they accordingly did and went over Jordan, as Eusebius says, to a place called Pella, so that when Titus came a few months after, there was not a Christian in the city, but they had fled as they are here bidden to. End of quote. John Gill remarks, that both the Israelite historian Josephus, writing in the late 1st century A.D., and the Christian church historian Eusebius, 
writing in the late 3rd century to early 4th century A.D., record that there was a surrounding of Jerusalem by the army of Cestius Gallus, who was a Roman officer. But then, Cestius Gallus, for no apparent reason, Josephus says, for no apparent reason, he withdrew his army. Well, I believe that the reason was Yahweh's providence. Yahweh was giving the Christian Israelites room to flee like their master had instructed them to when they saw Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Cestius Gallus withdrew back. Josephus said he could have overtaken the city easily, but for no reason that I could see, he withdrew his armies. And when he did, the Christians fled from Judea to an area across the Jordan River in the region of Perea, and that city was named Pella. Listen carefully to these words from Eusebius, book 3, chapter 5. He titled these, The Last Siege of the Jews, or Judahites, After Christ. And if you read Eusebius, I have Eusebius's church history in my library, it will be good for you to read all the points, points 1 through 7. I'm just going to read point 3 here. Listen to what he says. Quote, But the people of the church in Jerusalem, speaking of believers in the Messiah, had been commanded by a revelation. I think the revelation he's talking about was from the Messiah in Matthew 24, 16. Vouchsafe to approved men. Approved men here, I believe, are the personal disciples of the Messiah that first heard him speak the Olivet Discourse. There before the war to leave the city and to dwell in a certain town of Perea called Pella. And when those that believed in Christ had come there from Jerusalem, then, as if the royal city of the Jews and the whole land of Judea were entirely destitute of holy men, the judgment of God at length overtook those who had committed such outrageous or outrages against Christ and His apostles and totally destroyed that generation of impious men into that quote from Eusebius. This is exactly what Yeshua warned Jerusalem of in Luke 19, 41 through 44. I read this in previous lessons, but let's read it again. In Luke 19, 41, it says, As he, speaking of Yeshua, approached and saw the city, city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. He cried. Why? Saying, verse 42, If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build an embankment against you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone in another in you because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. This surrounding of the enemies here in Luke 19 is not talking about Cestius Gallus when he came upon Jerusalem and then withdrew and the Christians fled to the mountains. This is talking about afterwards when it was then too late. And Titus, which was the son of Vespasian, which was the ruler over the Roman military at that time, brought his armies there. This is what Luke 19 is talking about. And it was too late. And as Eusebius records and Josephus corroborates, when Titus and his armies came against the city of Jerusalem, every single Christian Israelite had fled to, across the Jordan into the mountains. There was not one left. They were protected by Yahweh. 
because they took heed to the Messiah's instructions. When you see this take place, if you're in Judea, flee to the mountains. Yeshua also said to the unbelieving Judahites in Matthew 23, 36-38, He says, I assure you, this is just before the Olivet Discourse, all these things will come on this generation. Verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. I remember in a sermon where I was teaching through Matthew 23 where it talks about how that Yahweh would send prophets to His people. Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 25. I can't think of all the text. I'm going by memory. But they wouldn't listen. Their hearts became obstinate and their ears were dull and they would not listen. And Yeshua is is calling out to the city of Jerusalem and He says, You kill the prophets and you stone those who are sent to you. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, yet you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. That's the temple. Then he turns his back on the temple and he walks out of the temple. The temple which was once he called my father's house when he was 12 years old. Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? He told his mother. Now he's calling it your house because the Spirit of Yahweh left. And it was a stone-cold place. And what he prophesied about in the Olivet Discourse, that there wouldn't be one stone left upon another that won't be thrown down, that came to fruition from 67 to 70 A.D. And many atrocities were brought upon the unbelieving Judaites. Yeshua knew that judgment was going to come upon first century rebellious Judah. And the reason, Luke 19, Luke 19.44 tells us the reason. He says, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. The Messiah came for a visit. And as a nation, as a whole, they did not recognize the visitation time. So this will have to come upon them. Well, this is exactly what John 1.11 says. It says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That's talking about the nation of Judah, not just Israelites in general, but specifically the nation of Judah because Yeshua was from what tribe? He was from the tribe of Judah. He came to Judah first. And this says that they didn't receive Him. This doesn't mean that none of them received Him because the very next verse says, to those who did receive Him. Okay, But as a whole, as a nation, they did not receive Him. They killed Him. They they cried out, crucify Him, crucify Him. Praise Yahweh, some of them repented as Peter preached to them on the day of Pentecost. Some of them repented. And then in Mark chapter 12, verse 6, which is Mark's account of the parable of the vineyard, the parable of the vineyard is such a key parable. This is a thread that runs through the entire New Testament. But the parable of the vineyard, I taught on this in Matthew 21. It is such a key. But in Mark's account of the parable of the vineyard, Mark records Yeshua as saying that the landowner, the landowner represents Yahweh, the Father, It says, he still had one to send, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But what did they do to the landowner's son? They killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Who did the landowner send his son to? Judah. But they didn't receive him. The landowner said, surely they'll reverence, they'll respect my son. Remember, he had been sending his slaves, which his slaves represented the prophets. 
They kept beating the slaves, mocking the slaves. Finally, he said, I'll send my son. Surely they'll respect him. No, they killed him and threw him out of the vineyard like trash. They were the builders. Yahweh sent his son to them, the chief stone of the corner. But the builders rejected the stone that came in the name of Yahweh. They rejected the stone. So judgment, therefore, had to come upon them. Yahweh in the past B.C. era had used Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians as a rod in his angry hand. Yahweh said that Nebuchadnezzar would be like a rod of punishment in his hand. And he would use Nebuchadnezzar to punish who? His covenant people. His covenant people that he had a relationship with that disobeyed him. Nebuchadnezzar was like the rod in Yahweh's hand. Well, after Yeshua was raised from the dead, when Yahweh raised Yeshua from the dead, exalted Him to His right hand, and gave Him all power and authority in heaven, now the Messiah would do something similar. As Yahweh used Babylonia as a rod in His hand, the Messiah would use the Roman armies as a rod in His hand against rebellious Judah to punish rebellious Judah. Now, as we keep studying Matthew 24, we'll continue to see how it is all about, Matthew 24 is all about judgment upon first century Judah and Jerusalem. Judgment for their denying Yeshua as the Messiah, the Son of Almighty Yahweh. The next slide I have says, Matthew 24, 15 through 21, when you see the abomination, but that's for tomorrow. So let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Almighty Yahweh, thank you again for another time in your word. Um, It is refreshing to to read your word and to study your word, and I pray that the scriptures would be remembered by the people. They would mull them over. They would meditate upon them, go back, and and, and be a good Berean and research these things. Father, I I pray that you'd give us good understanding here and and, um, so that we would not be bamboozled by people that come up with all kind of crazy things in prophecy, but we could just read your word and believe what your word tells us and, um, and, and learn and understand these things. So we love you, we thank you, we praise you. For it's through your Son I pray.